Good morning, Refuge Church. He is risen. Amen. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge, and it's a joy to be able to preach to you this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn it over to Mark chapter 16. We've been going through a sermon series called The Gospel. We've looked at the grace of God, which is undeserved favor. We've looked at the mercy of God, where God does not give us what we deserve, and now today we will look at the resurrection. Let us quiet our hearts this morning at the amazing story of the gospel. Just 33 years after the day that Jesus lay swaddled in the hay, he hung on a tree, suffocating and dying in our place. Absorbing wrath that was rightfully ours, but we could never bear the weight. And so he took that punishment and he put it in the grave and he died. And when I say that he died, friends, what I mean is that he died. No breath, no heartbeat, and no sign of life. You see, God is a God of justice. And the penalty for our sins equals death, the Scripture says. And that's what Christ did upon that cross. But then, on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures, He was raised from the grave. When I say that He was raised, what I mean is that He was raised. Lungs breathing, heart pumping, and blood pulsing through his veins. Friends, the things that he promised are true. He is the risen Son of God offering life to me and you. He turns our mourning into dancing, our weeping into laughing, our sadness into joy. By his mercies we are called his own. By His grace, we will never be left alone. By His love, He is preparing our home. And by His blood, we can sing before His throne. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. I pray this morning that your response to the risen Christ is a hearty amen. Amen means I agree or let it be so. Think about this for a moment with me. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, where would you be today in your life? Where would you put your hope and security? In what things would you find joy and peace if Jesus was not risen from the grave? As Alex already stated, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians says that if Christ is not risen, then then we are without hope. We are still dead in our sins, trapped in our sins, that our preaching is in vain. 
and that there is no hope and our faith is meaningless. You see, Christianity without the resurrection is not simply Christianity without its final chapter. It's, it's not Christianity at all. Now, what makes it so transforming is, is that Jesus took our punishment upon the cross, but then he rose anew that we might have new life in him and be able to walk in newness of life, no longer bound by the chains that once held us. Without the resurrection, friends, humanity has no hope. But I want to talk to you this morning about the resurrection. And I want to stir in your heart some affection, some treasuring of this risen Christ to give you hope and joy and peace that only can be found in Him. And how we're going to do that this morning is we're just going to look at, at three simple things. We're going to look at the record of the resurrection. We're going to look at the relevance of the resurrection. And then we're going to talk about your response to the resurrection. What is your response to the resurrection? If you have a Bible and it's opened, uh, and, if, and if you need a Bible, there's those Bibles there in the pew, and if you need one, feel free to take that with you. It's our gift to you. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath had passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the, other, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might go and anoint him, that is the body of Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled back. It, it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go then and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone before they were afraid. A quick prayer for us before we move on. Father, we pray this morning that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, that you would give us. And what we are not, that you would make us for Christ's sake. Amen and amen. When we come to the resurrection, we have to come with an open mind and an open heart. And this morning, I ask that you open your minds and do some investigation. That you open your minds with some curiosity. But also that you make sure that you do the harder work of opening your heart to the transforming power of the resurrection. When we look at this record of the resurrection, there's many things that we could talk about in order to, to prove that these events really happen. And, and my job this morning is not to stand up here and for, as a preacher for me to prove to you that the things that I'm talking about are real, right? That is the job of the risen Christ. He is the one who will do that work. It is my job to simply proclaim what he has called me to proclaim. But it's interesting as we look at the, 
at the uh, record of the resurrection, it's interesting to note a few things. We have many skeptics of the resurrection, and they say, well, the, the, the followers of Jesus were very devoted to him. You know, they, they loved him very much. Obviously, Jesus of Nazareth was a very good moral person. You know, he was a good teacher. Uh, he came when he brought equality and justice and talked about some very wonderful things. And, you know, I, I, I guess he might have done some miraculous things. I'm not really sure about that. But really, in the end, what happened was is that the followers of Jesus just took his body. They stole it away. And uh, they made up this story, they deified him, and they, they made this thing we call Christianity today. And that's what many people believe. And they believe that because of a, a variety of different sources that they've read. They, they, they think that Tom Hanks figured that all out, the Da Vinci Code, or whatever it might be. And, and so we, we, we have our own kind of um, understanding of what we believe about the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. And what I want to ask you this morning is, is if you would simply, again, open your mind and your heart to... The reality of the resurrected Christ. When we look at this resurrection as far as a record, we can look back and we can see that the New Testament documents were historical documents. That they are very reliable documents. They are one of the most reliable sources of ancient literature that we have in our possession. Written over a span of time amongst different authors with different personalities. And there's kind of different viewpoints of what took place. But all of those main points are agreed upon in the gospel stories especially. The New Testament documents did not get written centuries after the resurrection. They did not have time to gain legend or myth of fairy tales. It's interesting that Matthew's gospel says this. After the resurrection, there's this piece of the story where the guards who were at the tomb went to tell the high priest what had happened. The, the Pharisees who had put um, Jesus to death. And he goes to them uh, and he says to them, um, this is what happened. You know, this, this, there was this angel there and, and it scared us to death and the stone was rolled away. And here's what the Pharisees say. Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And they gave him money and it says, so they took the money and did as they were directed. And Matthew says, this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Matthew's gospel account is being written about maybe 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And still in his lifetime, he is hearing these stories being repeated. He's saying this story is being circulated, that these things are false even now. Paul is writing about 15 years after the crucifixion and resurrection events. And in 1 Corinthians, as we've stated already, Paul is talking about if, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is in vain. And he tells those people to go and talk to the eyewitnesses. He says, if you want to hear some eyewitness accounts, go and talk to them. Many of them are still alive, and you can talk to them about the eyewitness events that took place. Let's notice quickly three specific things about the eyewitnesses that we see here from not just Mark's account of the resurrection, but all the gospel accounts of the resurrection. First, we want to note that the first eyewitnesses were women. Second of all, we want to note that the eyewitnesses were not gullible people. And third, we want to note that the eyewitnesses lived transformed lives. Transformed lives. First of all, the eyewitnesses were women. You say, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, if you understand history and you understand the culture in which um, this has being written, you'll understand that women did not have much status. Uh, they were not even allowed to testify in court. They were not recognized as equal citizens to men during this time. 
So it would not be the best strategy for those who would be writing these documents and trying to, to convince people that Jesus had really risen from the dead to use women as the first eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. What would be their motivation for doing this? Well, that it really happened that way. In verse 14, here in our text, Jesus actually rebukes the disciples for not believing the women's accounts. They didn't believe the women, and the disciples are cowering in fear. The men that Jesus had chosen to come around him, and they're cowering in fear, afraid, because their, their friend, their teacher, their rabbi has been crucified. And the women see the resurrected Christ, and they go back, and they tell the disciples, and the disciples say, we don't believe you. And that's not just because of the fear that they're facing. It's because they didn't think they were very credible witnesses. It's the culture in which they lived. Jesus comes and he brings equality and worth to women and those who are oppressed. And we see this even now in the resurrection of Christ and the eyewitnesses. It's exactly what happens. If you were making this up, you wouldn't put the women as the first eyewitnesses. It would have been a little bit more credible to just jump to Peter, James, John, Thomas, their accounts. And there's no need to try to make it more convincing or more culturally acceptable because this is what happened. Many of the women who saw Jesus after the resurrection were still alive when the gospel accounts were being written. They were well regarded and respected members of various churches all around the Mediterranean. They told their stories of what they saw that they talked to and touched the resurrected Christ. Second of all, the eyewitnesses, we have to note that they weren't gullible people. It's easy for us to think um, that we are a more advanced people, right? Now, we have, might have some more technological advancements, but people are not getting smarter for sure, right? Um, I am an example of that, right? People are not getting smarter. Like, quick browse on the internet, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> that's not cool, right? So we would be, we would be arrogant to assume that, that we are more skeptical because we're more scientifically advanced and we're willing to question things more. And ancient people were a little more ready to receive, you know, more of a, uh, a deity kind of a thing. They believed in the supernatural a little bit more. And, and that is true to an extent. There was more of the, the uh, relation to the supernatural during this time. But let me point out here that it's not a great marketing strategy to mention in the gospel accounts that the founders of the Christian church doubted when they saw the resurrected Christ. You see this all through the gospel accounts. that They, they saw him, and what does it say? But some doubted. They, they weren't sure. What's taking place here is that after they saw Jesus go through what he went through upon the cross, and then they see him standing before them, any rational person would say, there's an illusion happening here. I must have eaten something strange. Like, what is going on? Maybe this is, uh, maybe this is just a great hope that I have. Maybe this is a dream I'm having. Maybe this is a result of like the PTSD of going through the trauma of my friend and my rabbi being put upon the cross and going through such torment. But we would be foolish, friends, to say that they were more gullible. More so because the eyewitnesses, you should note, were first century Jews. Right? They were first century Jews. Now, they believed in a resurrection at the end of the age. 
Right? You see Mary talking to Jesus about this when her brother Lazarus had died, or Martha, I'm sorry. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that there will be a resurrection at the end of the age. Right? They believed in that. They even believed when Lazarus was brought back to life and the young boy that Jesus brought back to life, that when they were raised, that, that they had been revived. They believed in those kinds of miracles. But Lazarus and the young man who Jesus brought back to life, they would die again. What Jesus had and what the New Testament eyewitnesses are saying is that he had a resurrection body, right? He could walk through walls and eat fish. They could touch him and and talk to him, and then he would vanish before he went back to heaven. And first century Jews would be the very last people on the face of the earth to say that a human being could be God. Isn't this some of the arguments that the Pharisees brought against Jesus. He claims to be God. He must be put to death for this. And yet they are saying that Jesus, the Christ, had a resurrected body, that He, in fact, was God. They had many doubts, but there was something that blew those doubts away. And I have a question for you this morning. I have a question for you this morning. You may have similar doubts as these eyewitnesses. You may be just as skeptical as some of them were when they actually saw Jesus. What would it take, friends, to blow away all your doubts this morning? What would God have to do to blow away all the doubts that you might have about the resurrection? Third, we see the eyewitnesses, they lived lives that were transformed. Now, I want you to make sure we get the main point here this morning that we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this resurrection leads to transformed lives and a transformed way of living. And we see that in the early eyewitness accounts. We see that as the church is formed through the book of Acts, we see these people living lives of dramatic transformation. Jesus' followers never quite got what he was talking about when he was here doing his earthly ministry. They were always doubting, they were always getting confused, and when Jesus went to the cross, they all ran away. Cowering in fear, all of a sudden, they're miraculously transformed. When we see these transformed lives of these eyewitnesses, we can say something happened. Something must have blown their doubts away. Why would they make up a story about Christ coming back to life and then go out and live lives of love and compassion and ultimately give their life as martyrs for the cause of Christ? And not just those who saw him, but the church that continued to follow after and to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ living lives of tremendous suffering in the face of spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I could give many more examples and try to convince you through historical facts. But friends, we have to understand that when it comes to faith in Christ, ultimately it is the work that He does. Many of us come to God in an intellectual way, and that's not ultimately bad. As I said, I want you to open your minds, and I want you to think, and I want you to be investigative and curious. 
But many of us only allow and entertain thoughts of God here and never allow it to drop down into our hearts. And many people will miss salvation and an eternity with God because they think they have it figured here and not here. And I'm not talking about skeptics. I'm talking about those who think that they believe here. Because we cannot simply believe the resurrection as just kind of some naked fact. If I go out on these streets and I talk to people passing by, I guarantee you that almost all of them would tell me that they do believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and believe in God. But has that transformed the way that they live? Many of you say and would heartily say amen as we sing these songs and we recite these stories that you believe in the risen Christ. But do you live in such a way that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Some of us, I'm afraid, and I would be the first one to say this, live as if Jesus was still dead and that we are stuck in our sins. Because friends, talk is cheap, right? Love is proved by sacrifice and faithfulness. And Jesus is the greatest example of that. Second here, we move to the relevance. Okay, so cool, Pastor Jeff, like, you know, you gave me some facts, great, but what does this mean to me? How does this help me, right? As I said, this is not something we can just simply believe with our minds. Here is what happened. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul is writing to a church that is really, really messed up, right? This church has got a lot of problems. On the outside, they look very good, the church at Corinth. They, uh, they have a lot of things going for them. They're very charismatic. Uh, you know, they have all this awesome talent and so on. But under the surface, there's a lot of hypocrisy taking place. And Paul reminds them that what took place upon the cross in the death of Jesus, and what took place in the resurrection of Jesus was that they no longer had to walk in the old ways, but they could walk in newness of life. He says so in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, when Jesus died upon the cross, He took the punishment for our sin. And He was placed in the grave, dead, because the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. And then three days later when he comes triumphant out of the grave, all those who put faith in Christ can know that the penalty for their sin has been paid for and that if they put faith in him, that their old self will be buried with Christ and their new self will be alive with Christ. Brand new life. Not a, a tuned up heart. Not just fixed, getting under the hood but something brand new. The heart of Jesus Himself. What takes place upon the cross is that Jesus receives our punishment. And because of His perfect obedience in our place, all those who would put faith and trust in Him, God says, I will give you the perfect record of Jesus, the perfect obedience of Jesus, and I will view you as I view my own Son. The transforming power of the resurrection is that the power of sin and Satan and death has been broken. It has been broken. And the same victory that Jesus had over these things can be yours if you would but put faith and trust in Him alone for salvation. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is offered to you. How? How? I put this as simply as possible. Because the resurrected Christ says that for all those who would trust in Him, that He would be with them. That He would be with them. Does it give you any hope to know that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, promises that for those who put faith in Him, that He promises to be with them even to the end of the age? How how am I supposed to live this transformed life? How, How am I supposed to get over addiction? How am I supposed to get over sinful patterns? How am I supposed to get over being unfaithful? Because the resurrected Christ said that He will be with you and give you the same power that He overcame Satan, sin, and death. Gave you the same power to you. The resurrection transforms our lives. Let me use Matthew's account just to show us some of the, some of the, uh, the flow of the, the New Testament writers. Go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Let's continue to talk about the relevance of the resurrection. In Matthew's gospel, in the very beginning, in verse 23 of of chapter 1, he says this, Behold, a virgin shall be conceived and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. What what a wonderful thought that, that God would come and be with his people. And Matthew ends his gospel with the words of Jesus. Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The resurrection transforms our lives because Jesus is with us. Not not just like the memory of him, right? But he is literally with us. He is the one who is transforming our lives. He is the one who is making us new. He is the one who gives us the power to love our enemies and to stand up for the broken and for the oppressed and to right wrongs. And He is the one who helps us love the unlovable. One of the greatest proofs, friends, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is sitting here in these pews. Transformed lives. That without the resurrected Christ coming and pulling them out of the dark mire, they would be without hope and lost. And and we wouldn't know them. We wouldn't see them. They would be lost. You may say, well, I, I, don't, I don't see him. I, I don't feel him. I, I really want to. This is, this is good news, right? Gospel is supposed to mean good news, right? Well, I don't, I don't see him. If I could just see him, right? But the eyewitnesses saw him. And they still doubted. Because you cannot ultimately figure it out here. And you can't just muster up a feeling. I say, that's sufficient. And you must cry out to the resurrected Christ to reveal Himself to you and to bring you saving grace. Let me give you from Matthew's Gospel here just a couple ways that Christ is with you. That you may be encouraged to see the resurrected Christ. Here, Matthew 28, this is what's called the Great Commission. Uh, verse 18, right? It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, there it is, I am with you always to the end of the age. Four ways that we can see Jesus 
the resurrected Christ being with us. He is with us first, we see here in this passage in Matthew, in history. He is with us in history. He is with you in the Word and the Gospel. He is with you in Christian community. And He is with you in the end. What does it mean that Jesus is with you in, in history? If you're a member of Refuge or you've been attending our services, we just recently finished a series in Revelation, right? And, and in chapter 5, we saw that Christ goes and He takes the scroll of human history out of the One who sits upon the throne. And He, he is showing that He will rule and reign over history. Jesus... The resurrected Christ is telling his followers, he is telling us that when he goes back to heaven here, when he ascends back to heaven, he sits down at the right hand of the Father. He sits down because his work is finished. Right? So if you are doubting that the work of Jesus upon the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is sufficient, look to Jesus sitting and being very comfortable because he said, it is finished and then he got real comfortable because his work was done. So you can rest in that. That he has power to save and he will give that power to you. He sits down also to rule and to reign. To, to be, as it were, the prime minister. To go and to fulfill the will of the king. And he's doing all of this as he is ruling human history. He's doing this with what we would call the cross Resurrection principle. You say, well, what's that? Let me try to explain it to you in this way. So, when you look at the cross of Jesus and you see his immense suffering upon the cross, we understand when we see the whole story that the immense suffering of Jesus upon the cross just led to a greater salvation, right? Satan and those around thought that they had finally silenced him. That he, that he was dead. That he was gone. But he knew that in his immense suffering, the more the suffering, the greater the resurrection, the greater the victory was going to be. Many people came by and shook their heads as, as if to say, what, what a shame, right? What a shame is this? And you could look at the cross, if you don't believe, and you could say, what good could possibly come from such immense suffering? Let me ask you a question. Are any of you asking that question right now about something in your life? What possible good could come out of this? What possible good could come out of COVID-19? What, what possible good could come out of this sickness in my life? What possible good could come out of, out of this relationship issue in my life? What possible good could come out of this pressure of poverty in my life? What possible good could God bring out of this? And if you find yourself asking that and you're claiming to be a believer and a follower of Jesus, you have forgotten that He rules and reigns over all things because He is risen. And our sufferings in this present time are just producing in us a steadfastness. And they are producing in us a greater weight, as the Scripture says, of glory. That our suffering is not in vain. But there is a purpose and a plan and a remaking. Can God bring anything good out of this? If you're saying that right now, you have forgotten that Jesus Christ is alive and He is ruling and reigning over all things. And in His immense suffering, it led to complete victory. 
what man intended for evil, God intended for good. Because He holds all authority, we can walk in faithfulness through our sufferings. And we see Him there in the midst of our suffering, not calling us to do anything that He has not already done Himself. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow Me. If you want to be My disciple, it's going to be costly. He says, anybody that would want to come after Me is going to have to lose their life. And coming after me, you must lose your life and you will find that you will find true life in me. And he is not calling us, friends, to do anything that he has not already done himself. And we see him with us, present, the resurrected Christ, victorious over our suffering. Making sense of our suffering. Giving meaning and purpose to our suffering. Because he is alive and with us. In Romans, Paul reminds us that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is revealed to us. And that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. We are resurrection people. He is with us in history. Second of all, He is with you in the Word and the Gospel. In Ephesians 2.17, Paul says it this way. He says, Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off like that's the Gentiles and to those of you who were near that was the Jews he preaches peace to you but when did Jesus ever go to the churches in Asia Minor and preach to them he he didn't what Paul is saying here is that when the word of God is preached when the good news of the gospel is preached Jesus Christ himself the risen Christ is preaching the gospel of peace to you he is with you in the word And he is with you in the gospel. And this is not in the sense of like when you read Steinbeck or something, you're like, well, I I sense his presence there, you know, in the the book. Or like when you play basketball and you're like the mamba mentality, like I I know that Kobe's there with me kind of a thing or whatever. That's what I was talking about. Like he is actually there with us. The risen Christ present with us. We can see him in the word and in the gospel. This is why the, when the Word of God is preached and read, it brings conviction, it brings joy, it brings hope, it brings peace. Because Jesus Christ Himself is preaching to you. There was an eyewitness account after the resurrection of Jesus in Luke 24. It's called the road to Emmaus. And so Jesus comes and He has this conversation with these two people on this road. And they don't know it's Jesus. And they're walking along, and Jesus starts like just expounding the Scriptures to them. He just starts teaching the Scriptures to them, like from the Old Testament to the New. And He's unpacking for them all the things that the Scriptures said about Him. And they say this after they got done of this long walk, and they sit down to eat with Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus. They say this about His teaching. Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us on the road and when He opened the Scriptures? Our hearts are set on fire when we read the Word of God, when we hear the Word of God preached because the risen Christ Himself is preaching the Gospel to you. It is not me. It's just a mouthpiece. Like God used donkeys in the Bible to talk for people, right? It is Christ Himself preaching the good news of the Gospel of peace to you see him in the scriptures hear him in the good news of the gospel calling you to himself he is with you so when we walk in disobedience to the word of god if we claim to be followers of jesus when we walk in disobedience to the word of god we are saying we do not believe that he is the risen christ that he is not the one speaking to us 
When we try to take the Bible and to twist it into all different kinds of ways to meet our lifestyles or to, to push our agendas, which has happened down through history, it's because we really do not believe that the risen Christ is the one who is preaching the gospel to us. We think we can interpret it on our own. Three, he is with us in Christian community. He is with us in Christian community. Jesus says here to them, I am with you always. All right? He's with us in the Word. Right? He's with us in history. But he says here, I am with you all. And what he's saying here uh, is not singular. He's talking about community. He's saying, I am with you always. The word you hear that Jesus is saying in the Greek means you all. Or as my, my mother-in-law from Memphis would say, y'all. Right? Jesus is saying, I'm with y'all. I'm with you all. Or, or as we grew up singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We would sing that through, and then we would get to the end, and we would all stand up in kids' church, and we would sing, Jesus loves us, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. God has given us Christian community, or what we would call here at Refuge, covenant community. Because our God is a covenant-making and keeping God. And so we come together and we see the risen Christ in each other. When, when I hear our other pastors preach, I see Jesus and I hear Him preaching to me. When, when I sit down in our community groups and I'm ministered to by each, uh, the, my, my uh, family in Christ there, I am seeing the risen Christ. I am encouraged to love Him, to cherish Him, to treasure Him more. The beautiful thing about the Christian community, as you see down through history, is that God has called his community to be a diverse community, right? To be a unified community, not uniformity, but unity under one banner of Jesus Christ. And you see this beautiful picture of Jesus in the Christian community. He is with us in community. We understand God better in our Christian communities, I believe. Within the covenant community of Refuge Church, friends, I see the risen Christ in you. He uses this community to help us treasure Him more. Community pulls us into the grand story of God's covenant love. God has made a covenant through His Son, Jesus Christ, and this covenant speaks of of a costly commitment that is sealed with a promise. And the covenantal nature of the local church coming together with other believers shows this beautiful picture of the covenant-making God that we serve. And it is very precious to God when He sees His people drawing together to treasure Him. He is with us and present to us in community. A new commandment I give you, He told His followers, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And he's talking to his followers. He's talking to those who claim to be his followers. You want to preach to the world the resurrected Christ? Love each other earnestly. Forgive each other quickly. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Bear with one another Consider others more significant than yourself. Why would there be any hope to a lost world that there is a resurrected Christ when the church bites and devours each other over petty nothingness, over preference, over things that don't matter? That's why we must get back to the understanding 
of the cross and resurrection principle that only by losing myself can I find true life. Only by dying to what I want will I be able to enter into covenant community in a way that's going to radically change the world. As I see Christ and him only exalted. And that is my deepest desire. We are telling the world in a profound way that we are his followers in covenant community. To individually tell others the good news is wonderful, but then to partner that individual message with a living, breathing example of the transforming power of the gospel in Christian community is even more powerful. A community who lives together, who bleeds, who heals, who weeps and rejoices together for the glory of God and the good of each other. A covenant family who interacts with each other the way that Jesus interacts with us. A community, as Bonhoeffer said, who lives with each other in the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is with us in our Christian communities, and it proclaims to the world that Jesus is alive. He is with you also in the end. He is with you in the end. What does he say here? Behold, I am with you sometimes. No, always. For a short time. And then you've got to figure it out on your own. No. I am with you always to the end of the age. In his death and resurrection, Jesus conquered Satan, sin, and death and all of their effects. And one day, all will be made right. One day, all will be restored. And the presence of sin, along with all of its scars, will be no more. We can have abundant life now. And we have hope that in our struggles and trials, that our struggling and our trials and our fighting is not in vain. Because one day, the sky will split. And Jesus will come back to make all things new. And those who have faith and trust in him will gaze upon his face with joy. Seeing that he kept his promises to be with us there in the end. Paul says, for this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. He says, no, when this happens, when we are made new, the, the prophecy, the saying will come true. What is this saying? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've been reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. That's why I quote them so much. Um, I like them myself. Um, and if you don't know the Chronicles of Narnia, it's really weird because you're talking about like talking animals and stuff. And um, so you, you should read them for sure. Um, but I love this part. If you, if you know, most people know like the line, the witch in the wardrobe. You know, and, and the great line, Aslan, he's been killed by the evil witch. Right? And, and then he comes back to life and, and the children, the, the, the girls, right? As a representation of the women of the, at the tomb, the eyewitnesses, they, they see him. And they don't understand. They're skeptical and they're confused and a little scared. They say, we, we saw the witch kill you. We, we saw her plunge the dagger into your, your heart. And the great lion says this to them. Though the witch knew the deep magic, there was a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge only goes back to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. 
She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. When God is in sorrow, casting his children out of the Garden of Eden because of their willful sin, of all the curses being put forth and all the sorrow, we see this glimmer of hope that we sang about before I came up here. He says that from the woman's seed, from Eve, will come one who would deal with our sad reality. That the serpent would bruise his heel, nip his heel, and in that very moment, as, as, as it seemed to all the world that there was a death blow given, it was just a nip to the heel because the conquering hero, Jesus, would crush the serpent's head. I've been reading this uh, resurrection story to my oldest son, Judah, and I love the way it says it. Um, it says, as you probably know, and should definitely tell somebody else, the snake crusher did not stay dead. He couldn't. Because Satan had no accusation against him. And death had no claim on him. And for those who will put faith in Christ, that is offered to you as well. We will be with him in the end. Because he is with us until the end. We will outshine the sun, a song says. We will outlast the moon. Because of the resurrection of Christ we will see him in the end if you believe in the risen Christ and trust him for salvation. Your past is paid for. The power of new life is yours to overcome your present sin and situation. And you are headed for a place where the presence of sin cannot abide and where death has no vengeance. And the scars of our sin will be eradicated. Do you believe in happy endings? Sometimes I get real bleak about stuff, and I'm kind of, you know, I like to read the, the psalms that are kind of moody, you know, like a good kind of lament, you know. I can get kind of like that sometimes. You know why I get like that sometimes? And when I kind of have a little bit of an attitude towards happy endings? Because I say, that's not real life. You ever said that before? Like, yeah, ha that's a happy ending, but that's just not realistic. Because I've experienced some pain in my life. I've experienced some heartache in my life, and you have as well. We say that, though. And that's why we pay all this money to, you know, get the books to read about, you know, the fairy tales where the bad guys get it in the end and, and they live happy ever after. That's why everybody goes to the superhero movies, because we long for someone to stand up and fight against the injustice. We long for a hero and for a savior. We long for Gandalf to come riding over the hill and to save us. We long for the Avengers to assemble. That's why we're drawn to that stuff. But in the end, we're kind of like, yeah, that's great, but that's not real life. But I'm here to tell you this morning that I do believe in happy endings because Jesus has conquered Satan's sin and death. And in the end, we get the happiest ending of all. And in fact, the end for those who put faith in Christ, when we breathe our last here, it will be just the beginning of all eternity with the one that we were created to be with. And the best news of the gospel is this, that Jesus came down in our sad reality and he lived the life that we could not live. And he paid 
for the punishment that we deserved, and he rose victorious that you might have life and have it abundantly now and in the future. And in the end, the greatest gift is this, and you know it. I said it last week. In the end, as Pastor Russ always, always says, in the end, we get God. Our greatest joy, our deepest treasure and longing. And even if you don't know, if you don't know him, that is the longing that is in your heart this morning. We try to stuff it with all sorts of other things, but only he can truly satisfy it. In the end, we get to be with him. This is good news. This is good news. This is good news. Thank you. Thank you for the Mama McBee back there cheering me on. Sheesh. Some of you all act like you're dead this morning. All right. More coffee, Russ. All right. Lastly, I guess when this guy going to be quiet. Lastly, in light of all this, there has to be a response. What's the response? What's the response to the resurrection? We see a, a variety of responses in the eyewitness accounts. We see disbelief. We see struggling to overcome a disbelief. We, we see worship. We see awe. Listen this morning, friends. The resurrected Christ, he's calling to you. And, and I, I, I could stand up here and preach until my voice gave out trying to convince you. But each one of you must answer the question that was posed to Peter. Peter, who do you say I am? Not who does your pastor say he is, or your grandma, you know, grandma was really faithful, so I'm just going to trust that that kind of passed on down. No, who do you say that he is? And listen, it's okay to struggle with the reality of the resurrection. It is a baffling, awe-inspiring thing. But he calls to you. He desires to be with you. He desires, friends, to transform your life, to give you abundant life, to give you lasting joy and peace. There was unbelief and hardness in the hearts of some of his followers in Mark 16, verse 14. Do you feel this morning perhaps unworthy of his love and forgiveness and transforming power? Do you feel too dirty? I, I cannot tell you how many times as a pastor, especially a pastor of folks who uh, have been in, in tough spots, um, the church that I pastored before, a lot of addiction, a lot of heartache, a lot of, a lot of uh, bleak futures, not a lot of hope. And I heard so many times people say, if I walk through the doors of a church, man, I'd catch on fire, <laughs> right? And it's not about that, right? But they would say that because they felt unworthy. They felt like there was something extra holy about the church, right? They, they felt unworthy to come before God because of all the horrible things that they had done. Do you feel unclean? Are you still skeptical this morning? You say, this is all great, but I really wish I could get on board with this idea. Some of you fight in your brains this idea that Jesus is still dead and it breaks my heart are you still skeptical I, I wish that I could be as joyful I feel like a fraud do you feel unworthy well you are do you feel unclean well the Bible says we are 
Do you feel like, oh, I've done too many bad things? Well, you have. And the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to save sinners, right? So stop trying to act like you're anything other than that. Come to Him in humility, looking to His perfect obedience. And then, understand this in the resurrection, that He has made those who trust in Him saints. He has justified you just as if you have never sinned. And when God the Father looks down and sees you, He sees you and interacts with you on the basis of what His Son has done for you on His cross and in His resurrection. So we can say, hey, past is paid for. Present, I have the the power to overcome. And one day the presence of sin will be altogether gone. Jesus conquered the grave. And he made, as I close, I want to say this. And please hear me. He made an extra effort to make sure that the deniers and the unclean and the doubters got the message. Did you catch what? The angel said to the women as they were running away, go tell his disciples and tell who? Tell, tell Peter. And you tell Peter. And that wasn't a stick it to Peter. <laughs> He's got what's coming for him, man. Like, he better watch out. Because if you've read the Bible, you know that Peter boasted that he would die with Jesus. I'm not going to let that happen to you. I'll die with you. You know? Kind of the, the, the ringleader. And what did he do? In Jesus' greatest hour of need, what did he do? He ran. And he denied that he ever even knew the man to a little servant girl. Tell Peter. Mary Magdalene, whom he cast out many demons. He made sure. It tells us this in the, uh, the, in the Gospel of John, the account of John's uh, resurrection account, that when Mary is running from the tomb, she's she's Um, overwhelmed. She doesn't know what to believe and she's crying and it says Jesus met her. Jesus could have gone from the grave straight back up. By the way, Jesus like um, didn't just roll the stone to get out, right? The angel rolled the stone back so that we could see in and see, oh, he's not there. The the rollaway stone is for us. It wasn't so that Jesus could get out, right? He, He was gone already, okay? He was gone. We were able to look in. Like they went inside and Oh, thanks for opening this up so we could actually see. Right? And the women were coming saying, how are we going to move this stone away? And they get there because they were going to go there for a funeral to pay their last respects because of their love for him. And they find out that the stone is gone. And he's alive. Get rid of your spices. Get rid of your burial cloths. He's alive. And Jesus comes to Mary. And it says that she's crying so much that, um, that she doesn't know who he is and she thinks he's the gardener. I could nerd out on this for a while, and I shouldn't. What, what, did, what, did, what did God task Adam with in the beginning? He's a gardener, right? Hey, cultivate the earth, dude. Go out and, and, and be fruitful and multiply. Like, take this beautiful story around the globe. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with little God fears. And in Romans it says that because of Adam's sin, we've all fallen under that curse. But there is a new and better and greater Adam. I think it is interesting that Mary mistakes him as the gardener. The true Adam. The true gardener who's come to bring back his people. Glory to the liberating king who came not to conquer kingdoms but conquer hearts and restore us back to what we were intended for. And he says to her, 
Mary says her name. Jesus calls to you who feel unclean. And lastly, he makes sure that the doubters see him too. Jesus goes to great lengths in order to to show you himself resurrected and offer you the life that he has won for you. You know this guy, we call him Doubting Thomas, right? And all the other people have uh, kind of, okay, we've got time to kind of convince ourselves, and we've seen him, we've had time with him, but Thomas wasn't there. And it's pretty good odds, right? So you had Judas, and Judas did his thing, uh, but you still have a pretty good handful of believers, right? Don't worry about Thomas. But do you see what Jesus does? He goes back, he makes a special trip to make sure that Doubting Thomas knows that he is alive. And Thomas says, no, 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 no. Unless I see him, unless I can put my hands in the nail scars and in his side, I will not believe. And Jesus comes to him. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He did not come in and say, no, 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 you doubters. No, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Thomas here, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand on my side, and do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, and this is for us, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And friends, may we say this morning with Thomas, in light of the resurrected Christ, my Lord and my God. The resurrection brings about transformation. There is hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that when we pray to you, it is not falling down from the ceiling. We are not talking into thin air. But we believe that you hear us because you are alive. And we see you all around us. And we thank you that you have not left us alone, but that you have provided for us a way to walk in newness of life. We give you glory and praise and exalt you. We thank you that our sins have been paid for, that the power to overcome has been handed to us, and that one day in the end when we see you, the presence of sin will be gone. So we say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We exalt you and we lift you on high. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen.